Office Hours with Dr. JT. Um, I'm super excited. If you're new to Office Hours with Dr. JT, just a quick, quick rundown of what it is, who I am. So my name is Erica Jordan Thomas, former teacher, former principal. Um, I left the principalship and went back to school full time and graduated with my doctorate in May. And I launched my consulting business in October of 2017. So next month will be our four-year anniversary. Um, and I, in my business, I have two arms of my business. I have my consulting business that coaches and develops principles. And then I have my business that supports educators in launching their own consulting business. And so Every other week, I go live with Office Hours for J with JT, and what that looks like is I have a private Facebook group community where every other Thursday, we release a poll of questions, questions that people submitted to the group once they joined, and the group votes on those questions, and the three questions with the most votes, I go live the following week. And I answer those three questions. And so for my folks on Instagram, if you're not in the Facebook group, just click the link in my bio and you can join us. So that way you can engage in the poll. You have the option to add questions in case there's anything that you want me to, to answer. So we have three questions tonight. So those three questions, and if you see me looking down, I'm looking down at my notes. So the three questions that uh, we'll be just chatting about tonight are what are some tips on networking to build clientele? The second question is what are the keys to a successful launch? And then the third question is how to not get wrapped up in smaller contracts that lead to burnout. So those are the three questions that we're going to be chatting about and we're going to dive straight into it. So if you are watching the replay of this conversation, just drop a hashtag replay in the comments so that way we can still continue to build community. And as we go throughout our time together, if there are, are follow-up questions uh, that uh, come up for you, just drop them into the chat. Happy to answer. I definitely want this to be um, a conversation, a community conversation. Um, even though we're not physically in the same room and I'm the only face y'all can see. So if you got follow-up questions, drop those into the chat or even just like thoughts, um, affirmations or, or reactions. Um, we are, we're going to make this an engaging time together. So the first question is what are the tips, uh, what are some tips on networking to build clientele? So let's, let's first just kind of dial in. Uh, to the word network um, or networking and my kind of, you know, personal definition that I think about it is, is you're essentially engaging in some type of action that is expanding your social network, right? So I like to think about networking in that way because I think oftentimes if people have a narrow definition of networking, then they're limiting themselves in terms of the actions that they can actually take. So for example, if you're limiting yourself to the definition of networking is people have cocktails in hands and you have to go around and shake people's hands and like talk about yourself, that is one way that networking looks, but networking is essentially any action that you take to build your social network. 
or it could be your professional network. So any network. And so I just I just want to start really broad there because some of the things that we're going to be talking about, people may not traditionally be thinking about as networking, um, but keep in mind in any action that you take that is going to be expanding your existing network is an active networking. So uh, just before we jump in, I want you, I, I want to give you two things to kind of think about of when we're actually talking about your network, that your network is made up of two layers. So your network it consists of direct ties. So those are people who you directly have some type of relationship with. You know them, they know you, you have some type of history together. So this could be a former boss. This could be someone you went to school with. This could be a colleague. Now, in terms of the depth of the relationship, that can vary. But the, the key point is, is that you all aren't strangers. So that's one level of your network is the direct ties that you have. And then the second layer of your network are the indirect ties. So those are people who you're one, two, three degrees of separation removed from. So those people are, are folks that you can consider in your network as well. So I want us to be thinking as expansively as possible. So if there is someone who is a former colleague who is connected to someone else that you may not personally know or have met, that's an indirect tie. So I just want to, you know, think expansively about our network, think about those different levels again, so that way we can have a really robust definition of networking. It's not just limited to just the people that I know. It's not just limited to shaking hands while we're having drinks. Networking is, is a concept of building your network and People who are connected to the people that you know are folks you should be thinking about in your network too. So here are just a couple of, of, of actions or strategies that you can be leveraging to help build your network of, of folks. So the first is go through, I think it would be a really, really great opportunity for you to sit down and actually map your network. And when I say map your network, what do I mean by that? What I mean is I want you to actually think about your entire professional career. What are all the different stops that you made or intersection points that then would have resulted in some type of network that you have? So let me give you an example. So in my career trajectory, my career in education started off as a Teach for America Corps member. That is one type of network that I have because I happen to be a Teach for America alum. The school that I worked at as a teacher is a second network that I have of previous colleagues, my previous principal. That's another network. I went to undergrad at Ohio State. That is another network. People that I went to school with, folks who work there, once I, I uh, after teaching, I then joined New Leaders, which is a leadership preparation program for principals. That's another network that I have. Again, people who either went through the program, they were in my cohort, they could be a cohort above me, a cohort below me, people who work for the organization. So I would highly, highly recommend that you take some time to reflect and think about your, your journey 
your professional journey? What are the different pit stops that you made and therefore the different network groups or social groups that you have with with within your hemisphere? So I would love for folks to just, just as a, a check for understanding, this is a, the educator within me. Let me know within the comments one of your networks, when just off the top of your head, when you think about your professional trajectory, what's a network or one of the pit stops that you made um, that is, is within your social network. So let me know within the comments. And the reason why I bring this up is because for each one of those networks, depending on who your target client is, there's a direct contact or indirect contact that we were just talking about, direct tie or indirect tie. So once you've done this level of reflection of thinking through what are the different stops that you've made that then have resulted in different uh, networking soups, uh, groups or circles, um, then you can begin to think about, all right, given who my target client is, who within those networking groups are are either a direct tie, meaning they fall directly into my target client, or they're an indirect tie, meaning they could be connected to someone who would be defined as my target client. So I'm looking here at our comments of, of TFA, Yale Education. Yes, those are great examples of different networks that you could begin to explore for, for different direct and indirect ties. And so what that would look like is actually just sending an email to folks. And this can look like one of two ways, right? So if it is a direct tie, you can email them and be pretty straightforward because there's an existing relationship here, right? So you can say that, hey, I am in the process of growing my consulting business. And here is, you know, in a one sentence or two, you know, through my consulting business, I'm seeking to do X, Y, and Z. So it could sound like I'm seeking to support principals and their instructional leadership to ensure that they're creating more space and time to be able to coach teachers. Um, and I would love to, you know, learn more about your priorities. If this person is a principal, I would love to talk more about you to see, you know, learn more about your priorities and see how I can support you in your work this year. Um, so that could be one approach to it. A second approach, which is another tip, is you could go approach this as market research. So whether it's a direct or indirect tie, you could be reaching out to the person and saying, hey, this is the business that I have. This is the problem I'm seeking to solve in my business. And I would love to connect with you about 30 minutes over, you know, sometime over the next couple of weeks to learn more about how this problem is showing up for you. And so you can truly approach the conversation and the learning orientation. Now, if you do this, you cannot go into the conversation focused directly on pitching. You go into the conversation focused on learning of how are they experiencing the problem? What resources have they attempted in the past that, that were effective or ineffective? What resources are they seeking? Because that's going to be helpful for you and your business. And so you could approach it as market research. And naturally, that is deepening a connection and that's building awareness around you and your business. 
So you may not pitch at the end of that conversation, but guess what? They might ask, well, tell me more about your business. Well, what, what services do you offer? You might follow up in the email and actually share more about your services. So that's another approach that you can take in terms of building your network and building potential clientele. The other way, which we've previously talked about during office hours, is conferences. And so if you have not applied to a conference in the past 12 months, then that's an opportunity. And now with the world opening back up, you could may not be presenting, you could just attend. So you can start meeting other folks and, and building relationships. And so that's another way. And then the last way that the reason why I started with being really expansive about our definition of networking is because social media is networking. Now, we don't oftentimes think about networking because oftentimes we have this narrow definition of like we're having a coffee chat or we're, you know, at happy hour with drinks, shaking hands with people. Yes, it could look in that way. But when you are on social media and you have a level of you have a public presence and you are building awareness around you and your business, you are building your audience, which is building your network. When someone shares a post and then someone clicks on that post and like, oh, that's interesting. I want to be connected to that person. And then they hit your follow button. You're building your audience. That is a form of networking. So I share that because I know many people, you know, are, are navigating social media and they're trying to figure out, you know, some of their systems and consistency. And it is such a low lift way to to build your network and your clientele. So would love to hear some thoughts or reactions in the comments. So let me know of those four, which most connect with you. So we talked about uh, doing emailing your network, and that could be a direct email. And we're talking about direct ties when you're sending a direct email and, and being pretty direct around your business and your services. Um, because I do not advocate for cold emailing your audience directly about your services. Um, we talked about approaching it as market research. And so doing some informational interviews with your target client. We talked about conferences and we talked about social media. So let me know in the comments which of, of those four um, are either you've leveraged in the past or you're, you're most intrigued by and want and want to explore. Um, so Katrina says conferences are on my list this year. Oh, that's exciting. I'm excited for you. I'm super excited for you. Um, okay, so that's our first question. And so now we're gonna move on to our second question, which is what are the keys to a successful launch? <sighs> I don't know. I Every question just gets me so excited because I'm like, maybe that's just because it's my zone of genius and every question gets me excited. But I'm like, oh, I love this question. All right. So let me first clarify that that the way we use the word launch in our business, we I want to intentionally separate launching your business versus launching a new offer. All right, because um, there is a we need to think about those differently. So I'm seeing I'm seeing the chat going off around conferences. ISIS has a national conference coming up. Uh, Gina says that 
I like the market research as it uh, creates an entry point. Yes. So again, remember, this is y'all. We're we're talking about trust building. So market research is a really great way to be able to enter into a relationship with with a potential client. You know, to build trust because you're listening. You're getting proximate. So what this means? This means. And so I'm going off on a tangent here. Y'all know how I do sometimes. And we're going to get into our second question here. But what this means is you are going to have to reframe the runway, the length of the runway that it takes. Uh, the, the business language that one would use would be your funnel. But the and another way you can think about it is you have to to reframe that your your uh, your perception of the timeline of when someone first gets to know you to when they become a paid client, that timeline is not two weeks. So I think some of us are getting discouraged because we feel like someone should see us on social media and be ready to book with us next week. I love y'all. And because I love y'all, I'll share with you that's not how it works. You need to be prepared when someone does not know you in particular, now, if you have a, a relationship with the person, that's different because there's trust that's been built. But when someone does not know you, you need to be prepared for a runway at minimum of three to six months, at minimum. And I've used this example before. It has taken me three months to build an air fryer, which was $100, okay? Because I'm like, I need to know you're going to work. I need to know you're going to meet my expectations. So I've been researching in Facebook groups on YouTube about the air fryer. And now when you talk about someone paying you $10,000, $50,000, they need time to know you. And there's some people who might know you personally, and now they need time to know you as an entrepreneur. And so I just share that because sometimes we have an unrealistic time frame of how long it should take a client to make a decision. So that might be an opportunity. And I see ISIS already naming um, that. And it happens for all of us is we, we just believe people should be ready to jump. And I think a good way to remind ourselves of the reality is thinking about your own journey. Uh, what is it? What does it take for you to actually get to the paid client uh, you know, um, to get to the pay client point. Cause some of y'all nervous spending $300 on yourself. I love you. That's why I'm saying it. Some of y'all get nervous spending $300 on yourself, but you expect someone else to pay you 10,000, 50,000, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars within a week. So just, just, that's a good way to help, help, um, reset and reframe, um, related to building clientele. So entrepreneurship is the long game. You have to be, you have to 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 be consistent um and you have to to be focused on on planting this, the seeds and consistently watering to know that they are going to sprout. And that's the analogy I also think about too is if I were to plant some seeds for some basil. I plant the seeds and I water. I can't tell you when it's going to sprout though. <laughs> like, like the basil makes that decision, right? But I know it will. If I continue to give it sunlight, if I continue to water it, it's going to sprout. 
but it's not on my timeline. It's on it's on the Basil's timeline. So I just share that um, in case it's helpful for others. Okay, so we're now officially moving on to question two. Okay, um, and I'm seeing some some hearts in the in the the uh, IG live. So um, I know uh, it seems like that's that's helpful for folks, which is good. All right. So the question number two is, what are the keys to a successful launch? So what I was naming was that I want to I wanna be intentional around separating launching your business versus launching a new offer. Because where I see entrepreneurs get tripped up is, is around the launching your business. They feel like they have to have this imaginary checklist of things completed before they can quote unquote launch their business and they're just getting in their own way. So if we're talking about launching your business, you have already launched, like done, like you've you've already launched. So that's one piece I want to name that when it comes to launching your business, you don't need a website. It's you eventually should have a website, but you don't need that to start. You, you know, uh, a, a one pager is great when you're getting started, but guess what? My first three months in business, I didn't have a website. I didn't have a one pager, but guess what? I got three contracts from my network because I was out having conversations with people I had existing relationships with that were either my target client or or connected to my target client. You just need to start. So I want to I want to name that of when it comes to launching your business, you just need to start. Now, when we're talking about launching a new offer, that is is there's a different mind frame with that. And that is what I'm going to when we're talking about the keys to a successful launch. I'm going to dive into that here in a moment and name that this is the container of, of uh, for a new offer. These keys apply to a new offer, not your business, because your business you've already launched and you're just going to go out and do it. And I say this because there's usually, and this is this is where I want to remind people that there are already people who are are willing to pay you. They just need to know what your services are. Like people who already know you, you already have established trust with. So you just need to put in the work to have some conversations, to connect with people, to start talking about your business. And then once you get the, 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 that, you know, momentum building of, of having a, a, those first couple of contracts then you can start actually thinking about the the actual infrastructure of website of you know what is the actual you know pages look like and get my email together um so those things uh i see this question on igf so i can have an offer without a website correct yes you can yes you can um because you're your website is not you delivering the offers, not contingent upon you having the website. Here's the thing. The website is to build trust. So your website is needed for people who don't yet know you. But there are people you already know who would be willing to pay you and give you a contract. Go ahead and tap into that. Get the funds that then you can then use to help build your website. So that way 
as you are still nurturing your audience of folks who don't yet know you, who do need the three to six month time frame, they have the website that they can go and visit. So let me now just get into the keys to a successful launch. So we've we've intentionally kind of pulled apart. Launching for your business is different than launching for your offer. So we're talking about these keys for a successful launch. We're talking about actually launching a new offer. So there are three phases to a launch. I'll name them and then I'll just name some brief highlights from each of them. But the three phases of a launch are pre-launch, the launch itself, and then the post-launch. Again, pre-launch, launch, and post-launch. Where many people make the misstep is they just launch and they don't pre-launch or post-launch. So when I say pre-launch, what I mean is you need to give yourself a runway to to begin building awareness, to start nurturing your audience um, that is going to lead you into the actual launching of an offer. So when I'm saying pre-launch, I mean you need to give yourself a runway of three to six months. So I love y'all. And that's one of the missteps that we often make is let's say we plan to do a webinar and whether it's, let's say it's a paid webinar. So you plan to do, you know, a paid live workshop. You cannot put that out into the atmosphere two weeks before the webinar. You can actually, (laughs) but you want to have some type of pre-launch intentional phase that is actually warming your audience up for the author that's to come. So this is, y'all, this is almost like lesson planning a bit. So you can, we know that the best teachers don't teach, don't, don't create their lesson plans the night before. Like you can, but that lesson ain't going to hit like it could. The best teachers are actually really thoughtful and planned out that they have actually at least created an outline at the unit level. And then they're just filling in some of the details, maybe the week before, and then getting their materials prepped the day before. That's how you need to be approaching a launch, right? So when you're thinking about the pre-launch, the pre-launch is, and you may not say anything about your offer in the pre-launch, but the pre-launch, you are intentional about nurturing your audience because we know as consumers, people just can't pop up on us selling. It's like, where have you been? And now you want me to spend money with you? I ain't heard from you in how long? Right. So here's actually my philosophy and belief is that you actually should always be pre-launching. Whether you have an offer or not, when I say pre-launching, you can also think of that as nurturing your audience. You always need to be pre-launching. So some of the actions that this this could look like 
is if you have an email list, you need to be emailing your email list at least once a week, at least. People can't get emails from you now when you're you're looking for clients to deliver PD. You need to warm them up. So when we're talking about about the pre-launch, the pre-launch phase, which should be around three to six months, is intentional time when you're starting to to nurture, you're, you're connecting with people. And so let me give you some quick examples. So of course, behind the scenes operationally, like you want to be getting your operations together for whatever the service is. So if you're doing a webinar, then you need to get your tech together. You need to get the registration together. You need to get... Um, you know, all of those moving parts together. If you have an email list, there's some automations that you want to get. You want to get your email sequence together. So operationally, there's things um, that that you need to get together. Um, I see my C11 brother in the chat. Hey, hey, hey. Um, And so I share all this. um, So for you to be thinking about when you're pre-launching, whatever is the problem that you're solving through your offer, During the pre-launch phase, you need to be um, creating some some content to be sharing with people to start to get them thinking about whatever you're getting ready to solve in that offer. So if you are, let's say you're focused on principals that are doing, um, you're supporting them in instructional coaching, you might start developing some content, whether it's social media or through your email list around what are some of the challenges uh, to to principals being able to provide quality instructional coaching. Again, you're warming people up. You're starting to pique their interest. So this is where you want to be thinking about what are the actions that you're taking that are going to get you visible and build trust. So let me give you a real-time example. Um. If you all follow Gabrielle Union, you know she just released a book and it just became a, a New York Times bestseller. She just released it, I think, a week or two ago. And y'all, I have seen more of Gabrielle Union on my phone and my computer in the past two weeks than I probably have all year. <laughs> because she is she is pre-launching before the book even came out. She was she had a Times article that came out. She was on podcasts, she's on talk shows. She is is getting visible. And guess what? I bought the book. <laughs> like when the book dropped, I pre-ordered it because of all these pre-action or pre um uh pre-launching actions that she was taking that were warming her audience up for what's to come. So again, give yourself that three to six month runway and and think. And even before the three to six month runway, so if it's three months, you need to start planning at the six month mark because that could be you're strategically applying to conferences, you're trying to get on people's podcasts, you're planning to do some lives, you're going to drop some blog posts. So that way, during that three to six month container, you got stuff coming out, you're getting in front of people, you have a presence. And you have to plan that in advance. You can't do that two weeks ahead of time. So during that pre-launch phase, the focus is visibility and building trust. So let me know in the comments 
what resonates with you. I see Katrina says it's true. Gabby was everywhere. Yes, she was pre-launching. She was pre-launching. Yes, yes, yes. All right, y'all, I'm getting hot because I'm getting so excited. So let me take my little scarf off. Okay. So, all right. So um, that's pre-launch. So let me know in the chat what sticks out to you, what resonates, um, what your thoughts or reactions are, if that brings up any other um, uh, follow-up questions or sparks any reactions, let me know um, in the comments. So we that's pre-launch. You have the actual launch where you then are, are actually now publicly sharing whatever the offer is. And everything that you're sharing has a very clear call to action where the call to action is to your offer. So if you send an email, the call to action is sign up for the webinar or book a consult call here or apply here. Everything during your launch window has the same call to action, which is your offer. And so your launch window, you determine how long you you want your, your launch window to be. Here's the thing. The higher the price point, the longer you probably want your launch window to be. So you could have a launch window of, you know, two weeks. You could have a launch window of two to three months. And when I say launch window, that's that's the window that people have to actually um, book you. And so you determine how long you want that window to be. Um, but people... People usually need some type of of urgency um, in order to to make some decisions. Um, So you determine how long that should be. All right. Yes. Trust is everything. Trust is everything. Okay. Um, And then last is the post-launch. So after you've launched, let's say you set a goal to book uh, eight clients for professional development or eight clients for one-on-one coaching and you got your eight clients. Now during the post-launch, and again, this is another one of those phases that is often missed, for your post-launch is when you want to have some way for people to sign up for a wait list. These are people who are going to be your hottest audience. And when I'm saying hot, for people who aren't familiar with that terminology, you have your cold audience, your warm audience, your hot audience. Your hot audience are people who they are ready to buy. You just need to give them the opportunity. So you want to be having a direct line to those people, which is why a wait list is a really great strategy. So during the post-launch, you're going to want to have some system where people can sign up for a wait list. So that way you can still stay in contact with those people. Those would be the first people you would reach out to the moment you have your next opening. You would also want to analyze your numbers. So you'd want to have a little data meeting with yourself. So during the post-launch, this is the opportunity for you to be able to reflect over the actions that you took over the pre-launch and the actual launch to then to be able to come to some conclusions around what worked and what things you'd want to tweak for next time. So you might be looking at, uh, if you went live on Facebook, how many people attended each live? And was there something about the time of day that produced a particular, you know, the greater audience? 
Um, you might be looking at if you did a webinar, how many people visited the landing page versus how many people registered versus how many people showed up. So if you have a show up rate that you're not too happy with, then you might want to strategize around, all right, well, I need to send more emails or I need to have um, maybe there's a layer of I want to start uh, utilizing SMS reminders, so text messages reminders, um, because people were clearly interested if they registered, but for one reason or another, they didn't show up, or how many people watched the replay. That post-launch, you want to get into your numbers and really being able to reflect and see what went well, what do I want to do differently for next time. And then also a part of your post-launch is feedback from the clients who, who signed up for you. So you might give a survey after they've been onboarded to ask them about their onboarding experience or during the intake form, you might have a, how did you hear about me? So that way you can get clear on where your leads are coming from. Um, or at the end of the service, you might want to have a feedback. Well, you definitely want to have a feedback survey just to learn more about how the service went. But those are some actions you can take in the post-launch. All right. So let me know in the chat which of those three phases that you want to focus on this next time around. Do you want to dig deeper into a pre-launch, your actual launch processes, or your post-launch? What is your greatest opportunity um, for the next time around? So uh, Erica says, I just read something that said how the post-launch uh, share to share how the delivery of the service is going with your clients. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great, great, great idea. Um, and that could also be a way, right? Because essentially that's a testimonial. So that can also be something that you you incorporate into the pre-launch phase, right? Of your that social proof of how are things are going is a testimonial. Um, so though, that's a really, really great idea. Um, so I'm seeing lots of folks naming the pre-launch. Yeah, that's usually the biggest opportunity. Um, and you know, it's so interesting, like this, <clears throat> the way we will set ourselves up to make our pre-launch phase two weeks, and then we get really disappointed and start doubting ourselves when we didn't hit our goals. It's like, no, boo-boo, like you got the sauce. You just ain't give yourself a long enough runway in the pre-launch. <laughs> and so... Um, and this is the, one of the mindsets that I had to work through is, and I think this is, this is one of the ways scarcity shows up, is believing that um, you're going to lose clients the longer you're pre-launch it. Like if people have to wait, then you're going to lose your clients um, when it's like, they will be there. <laughs> like the clients who are meant to work with you they are going to be ready whenever, if they're truly a fit for you, um, they're going to be ready. And so um, if that's helpful to someone, I just wanted to share that. Um, okay. So now our last question is how to not get wrapped up in smaller contracts that lead to burnout. So this question um, I so appreciate um, this question because it's it's naming a 
something that can happen frequently for folks. And so by proactively naming that, then we can begin to plan of how do we make sure that doesn't happen. Um, So this is definitely something that can happen in your business is if you're focused on if of getting caught in this loop of accepting small contracts that uh, do not equate to the amount of work and energy that it it requires to put in. Um, And now you're caught up in this hamster wheel that it's like, well, you could just stay at your job for that. <laughs> like, if you're going to be on the hamster wheel, you need to be on the hamster wheel at your job, not in your business, because you're the boss now. And how are you on the hamster wheel? And you make all the decisions. Like, clearly, that's not what we want. So I think with this question, there's actually an opportunity to reframe. So rather than asking how to not get wrapped up in smaller contracts that lead to burnout, <clears throat> excuse me, I think there's there's two ways to reframe this. I think the first way to reframe this is really to ask yourself, how do I get comfortable saying no? Because you can always say no. And so what prevents you from saying no when you have these smaller contracts? Um, I think that's the, the first way to to refocus or reframe the the question. The second way is how do I get comfortable setting boundaries with my pricing and time? Because one way of how to not get wrapped up in small contracts that lead to burnout is don't accept small contracts. But do you believe that you're worthy of bigger contracts? So that means that you have to set boundaries around your pricing and not accept certain contracts that are at a particular price point and below. But that means you have to be comfortable saying no to money, which can be hard if you feel like money is a scarce resource that you have to fight for rather than feeling like money is an abundant resource that is all around you and you're able to attract it when you want it. So those are two potential ways to be able to reframe this question. And I will tell you, you will have to, this is going to be a necessary part of your journey because I've had my consulting business for four years. And guess what? Someone reached out to me last week. That is an organization that I am an alum of, and they wanted to pay me $500 for eight hours of work. Like, low-key, I was offended. I was like, first off, um, no. Secondly, like, $500 for eight hours of work? Like, let me tell you how much time you could get for $500. You could get maybe 30, 40 minutes. Maybe. So... I shared that, that even though like I'm four years into my business and that's an organization that I have a direct tie to, that was still an offer I received. And I I said no in a heartbeat. I'm like, I'm not doing that. No, no, no. Um, So that's something you're going to have to get comfortable with um, because it's going to happen even when you continue to grow and scale. And that's the unfortunate reality about our field is is our field has normalized the underpay of educators. Um, And so you're gonna have to get comfortable saying no. 
So here's, here's, here's one way that, because this is really a mindset question of how do I get, how do I not get wrapped up in smaller contracts that lead to burnout? This is a mindset question. Because really, because it's, you're the one who accepts contracts. This is the, this doesn't lie in anyone else's ballpark, but you, you have to develop in your mindset enough to know what you say yes to and what you say no to. Because some people would have said yes to the $500 contract for eight hours, right? And, and I'm, do you? But I'm not. Do you, right? But know that if, if, if you've done that once, you likely will do it again, and you have now placed an invisible ceiling on your revenue. So one way to help get over this mindset hurdle to, to not get caught up in a cycle of small contracts that lead to burnout or in a hamster wheel is you need to know your numbers. You need to know your numbers. Y'all, I'm looking at these comments. And y'all, let me tell you, I'm sorry. Y'all know I get caught up in, in rabbit holes. But I was sitting here thinking, I was like, I got a whole ass doctorate from Harvard. And you trying to pay me $500. And even if I didn't have a doctorate from Harvard, you trying to pay me $500 for eight hours. So I was like, no, I ain't doing that. I was in my feelings, y'all. I was in my feelings for at least a good hour. And I was like, mm-mm. I had to like draft the email and then come back to it just to make sure I wasn't in my feelings when I sent the email back of like, no. Um, so I see we're in community. I see we're in community. So to help help you do this mindset work, you need to know your numbers. Because when you know your numbers, when you know that accepting $500 for eight hours of work is not gonna allow you to hit your salary, it is a lot easier to say no, right? And so when I say you need to know your numbers, here's what I mean by you need to know your numbers. You need to know what is your target salary in your business. You need to know what are your average monthly expenses in your business. You need to know what is your target profit margin in your business. Once you know all of those numbers, then you can determine your break-even point. So at minimum, how much money do I need to make every month? At minimum. Once you know that number, you can then answer, well, then how much at minimum do I need to be charging if I'm going to do five PD sessions a month and this is my target number per a break even monthly? How many PD sessions or what's the price point for my PD sessions? When you know your numbers, the decision to say no is no longer emotional. It's real clear and black and white. Because the moment you say yes, you know that by saying yes to an offer of a price point is lower than what you need, you know you're either compromising your salary, paying your expenses, or your profit margin. 
Once you know your numbers, the decision is no longer emotional. You no longer, you might still feel bad about saying no, but you get over it easier. You need to know your numbers. So I share that and I shared some of those sample questions just to give you examples of the numbers that that you should know in your business. Because when you know your numbers, you also know actually Even though it makes me really scared to raise my prices, I have no other choice. If I want to make the salary that I want to make, or if I want to cover these expenses, I have no other choice but to raise my price. I'm telling, there's so much clear, and I know my, my, I feel like this might hit for you because I'm a former high school math teacher, so like I get so excited by the numbers. Um, But I share this with you because the workshop that I'm uh, um, delivering on October 16th, I'm going to walk you through this. So those are our three questions. Um, This was a good time as always. And so if you're on Instagram and you're not in the Facebook group, also in the bio is my is the link to be able to join us in the Facebook group. So that way you can be a part of a community of other education consultants. You can have access to be able to ask questions and get input. Someone just put a really great question into the group today of around payroll systems. How do you pay yourself? And then how do you figure out how much uh, to pay yourself, which I'm going to answer here in a little bit um, in the group. And so um, uh, it's a really great space just to be able to get support. So um, y'all, this was a good time. I'm so excited that we had this time together. I do it every two weeks. So join the Facebook group and vote in the poll. Um, and then if you have any other follow-up thoughts or reactions, just uh, leave them in the, the comments of this video. Um, and so hopefully this was helpful, um, but this was, this is a great, great time. So um, I look forward to seeing you all soon and be safe, be well. Bye.